Don't assume the end is going to be 10 years or 20 years or a week. Say it today. That way, even if your loved ones don't have a chance to say goodbye to you, they already know all the things that you would have said because you said them over and over and over again. Does that make sense? It makes great sense. Yeah. They don't need one last time to say, I love you because they know that you love them because they saw it, they heard it, they felt it. They don't need to know the important things you would have wanted to say that there's to follow the Lord, their God, or for you to pass on your faith to them or for them to know how valuable they are because you've already said it over and over for years and years, like a broken record. You've already left your lasting treasure. Yeah, they knew. They had the information. They knew. They were certain of it. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Hey, Matt, how are you today? (laughs) I am doing so well, Marty. It's busy, but it's so good. But I'm really glad to get to sit down with you and cover this topic. Yeah, so we're going to talk about, uh, you've heard the term memento mori? No. Okay. It's uh, remember your death. Remember that you will die. Now, that sounds overly morbid, maybe even macabre to some people, but it is a spiritual practice. Yeah. Then I have a story about how I kind of stumbled upon it myself and didn't really understand what it was, but I, it has transformative effects. Mm-hmm. Right? It can so go good. in a couple of directions, but when it's working right, um, it, it, it has some um, very positive effects. Well, very much, especially when you consider, do, have you heard um, what the latest statistic is about the uh, mortality rate in the United States? It's terrifying. And, and, and the fact that the media, the mainstream media, hasn't mentioned the biggest story of our lifetime, at least our lifetime, maybe the biggest story in 40, over 40% mortality, increased mortality rate in 2021. And it's still trending up. Something is uh, killing people at numbers or a, a, a confluence of things, I'm sure, that we're not thriving right now right? We're on the downside of that Mm. right now. And how do we know that that's true? Range of evidence reported. Coroners, for one thing, because they see it because all their customers are dead. Life insurance. um, And there's, but you know, it's not covering it. So it's, you know, at a time when people are more and more distrustful of one another and institutions, these are the sorts of things that cause that. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing about the mortality rate in America, it's a hundred percent. Eventually. Right. Yeah. But year to year, it's really stable. It's really predictable. It doesn't move that much. I mean, the actuarial tables are really good and precise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is a part of our lives. Yeah. And there's a denial of death in this culture. Right. You know, I, I saw it during, I heard it and saw it during um, the COVID outbreak when it was really bad. If we can save one life, then let's not even look at the costs of, of, of the measures because one life, it, that's a denial of death. Now is every life precious and valuable? Of course. Yes. hundred percent. But let's not behave as if we're going to solve everything and become immortal. It's a, it's, I think it's this grasping for control in our lives, which some of us need some more control, but a lot of us need to realize we cannot control nearly as much as we're told we can. 
got to be some measure of understanding. And that comes especially when it with considering death or people who are near the end of their lives. You know, it really threw me uh, earlier this year when Betty White died, like two months shy of 100 years old, uh -huh. triple digits, which is incredible. I've met a few handfuls of people who are triple digits because of my work. And it's amazing. But everyone said, oh, it was so sudden. You we know, hardly knew her in their 90s who say, oh, they died. It was so sudden. I, I, I say, oh, yes. But inside, I'm thinking they were in their 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what do you think, though? Is there a positive correlation between um, the denial of death and um, us becoming uh, less and less religious? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people think Christianity is some pie in the sky thing that's not dealing with reality. When I find that for me and for many people, uh, it's just the opposite. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so let me, uh, I'll tell you how I stumbled upon this without knowing it. Cause the reason I went into psychology in the first place was really, I, I, I had no plans to practice. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to study it to figure out what happened to me because I had a transformative event later on after puzzling over it for decades, as mm -hmm. I began to study memento mori, I realized, Oh, that's what happened to me. I had the absolute certainty that I would be dead absolute certainty that I would be dead eventually because I saw it happen to my sister right. and I saw the whole process unfold. So it wasn't just um, a phone call. I got to see death as it came and the effects that it had that made it very, very real for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So tremendous amount of grief for sure, but something else happened in me where I had this awareness of life that I hadn't had before, like how mysterious the whole thing was, how unlikely and probable it was. Um, that I never really I'd taken it so for granted that I couldn't understand how just amazing it was. Okay. So I would look at even perception change. I would look at trees differently. I remember mm. looking at trees differently and going, you know, they, they are odd, you know, they're, 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 they're strange things, you know, and I just usually pass by them, you know, without, without thinking anything. And also relationships. Also um, a lot of my anxiety decreased. When you became aware that yes, when I became aware for sure, and I'm not saying like intellectual knowledge of everybody knows they're gonna die, but no one believes it, right? Right, and that's what really matters is if 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 you know that you will have to die, mm -hmm. that makes your decisions today very different, right? We scale them differently, you know. Sure. Small things don't matter as much. So my anxiety went away. That's when I started going to. Uh, I went to a community college first because I was a flunk at that point. Um, you know, I didn't think I could be taught, you know, or learn. But the pressure was off me because you know what? It's a short game. It, it really is. And who cares what the world thinks of us? We're all going to end up in the same place. And so that didn't last forever because I didn't maintain it as a practice. Right. Um, so, but it, it lasted for a while and, I, and I've never forgotten it. Mm -hmm. It almost reminds me sounds like the practice you're talking about is from the Stephen Covey seven habits of highly effective people begin with the end in mind. Um, you're talking about, does he say that about life or just like the goal? Just about whatever Goals your goal general. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Begin with the end in mind. And that impacts what you decide and how you live and what you value and what you put your priorities on and how you treat people and how you plan and organize yourself and your time and your resources and, and we just choose to block out of our heads any thought of our own mortality. Yeah. Now, it could go in a couple of directions, though. Some people will be terrified of it. 
this is where I think that, you know, having a um, world view that allows for the continuation of something because it's valuable enough that it was created. And let's be honest, nobody knows what consciousness is. No, no one can explain it. It's, it's a mysterious thing. The fact that you can see light and that um, every night when you go to sleep, um, your eyes are closed, but somehow you see light and you experience volition and dream sometimes, you know, that you have that experience. And then people will say, because it correlates with brain activity, they think brain activity is causing it. They say, but correlation isn't causation. You know, right. there, there are lots of things associated with that, right? But I think that the, looking at the near-death experience literature has helped to convince uh, some people of at least the possibility that, um, that, that, that this continues, Mm-hmm. you know it's powerful i always thought that it was odd that when we dream like you know i can move i can actually feel things you know i get a visceral sensation if i'm running or something mm-hmm. like that uh, objects touch i have emotions all of that stuff and then you say well that's because the brain is still firing um but why can't i if fire why can't i just do that when i'm awake you know no one no, no one's found the seat of consciousness wow. you know that's incredible so yeah, you have to make a decision, right? It, 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 does nothing matter? And is everything just blah? Or is it kind of just amazing that's happening at all? And then that's when momentum mori practice will come in where you really contemplate it, you really understand it um, fully, and believe it fully, right? That that's when you can shift uh, your experience. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, this idea of momentum mori, it brings to mind this thing that Jesus told his disciples. And he said this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on yes. earth where moth and rust can destroy them, where thieves can break in and steal your treasures, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is there. Will your heart be also? Yeah. And why is it not self-evident more often? Because look, you know what it feels like to be in a loving interaction with someone. Right. That just at face is good. We enjoy it. We don't necessarily want it to end anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And then when you're being hateful, resentful, scared, bitter, angry, um, notice what's happening in your body. We can't call the two things peace or having power over people, you know, controlling people and having power over them. Now, is that really what we call joy? I don't think so. It's something else that's kind of intoxicating for some people, but it's not that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really intoxicating. Store treasures in heaven. How do we do that? Well, I think that it it means everything at face value is not just what we think it is. I think it means our lives are not just about ourselves. Your death is not your own, is one of the things that Carl Jennings, uh, who's a funeral director and a groundbreaking guy in that whole industry, the idea that when you die, your death is not your own. It belongs to the people who were with you, who walked with you, who cared about you. Your death belongs to them. And it's the idea of leaving a legacy. You know, you expect a 93-year-old to leave a legacy, but, you know, I realized, golly, 10, 15 years ago, that something I had never thought of before, and it's, it's this. When Jesus commands his followers to lay up treasures in heaven, that's not just for 93-year-old ladies or 70-year-old men. It's for 14-year-old boys. It's for 22-year-old college students. It's for 40-something guys who are trying to provide for their families. Just because you and I are trying to build up to provide for our families doesn't mean we put off leaving lasting treasures and investing in the kingdom of God, things that are going to help people to thrive, that are going to help people learn how to serve, learn how to 
let go of lesser things to pursue what God would have. And it's not treasures. We have to get away from thinking of it like pirate's gold, Mm -hmm. but treasures are what we say. Treasures are what we do. Treasures are what we invest in the lives of people. No other treasures last the same. I heard Rick Warren who wrote that huge purpose-driven life thing say, there's two things that last forever, God and people. And so for us to invest in things of God and in the lives of people. Yeah. You, 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 leaving a legacy is unavoidable anyway. I mean, you build a house, you die, the house stands. You, I see it with alcoholism, you know, other family problems. It, it goes generation to generation. So you're going to leave a legacy. Know that. And, and I think we idolize all the stuff about us that we think is so important. But in the end, is it going to really care that he had the biggest card collection of anybody in the world. You know what I mean? It's what's, what's going to be more important is how I care about you, how I love the people in my life, how I share that blessing there. That would be another good podcast on blessing. What does it that mean? There is this thing called the blessing. And you know, the Bible records a whole lot of people's parting words near the end of their life who are seeking to leave a legacy. Oh, tell me about some of I, I, I'm thinking, you know, it is finished comes to mind, but yeah, that was for Jesus. Yeah, yeah. He completed it paid in full is another way to translate that Moses in his last words, he was 120 years old. Moses grew up an Egyptian. He went into the wilderness. He met God in the burning bush. He led the Hebrew people out of Egypt across the red sea and wandered in the desert for 40 years. Here he is standing before the promised land that he knows he's not going to enter. And as the people of Israel are gathering before him, he gives them this charge. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says this, see, I lay before you today, life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life by following the commandments of the Lord, your God now and forevermore. And then Joshua, who is the leader after Moses, a generation after Moses led the people across the Jordan River to claim the land, and now he's old. And he stands before the people with these words, choose this day who you will serve. Choose either to serve the gods of your fathers and mothers served in far and distant lands. Choose to serve the gods whom the nations around you serve, like do what everybody else is doing. Or choose to serve the Lord, your God, who delivered you from slavery in Egypt, who promises to give you life, and has been your life and your hope. In the midst of death, God is seeking to be your life and your hope. And this is direct from the Bible. He says, this is the one that people may have heard. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, like the living God. Not about building up all this stuff for ourselves. And a whole generation of people are inspired to continue to be faithful to God because of the witness of this man just before he died. Mm-hmm. Have you um, have you been with people as they were dying mm-hmm. in the process? Yeah. What did you know? What observations do you have? Well, sometimes they weren't conscious, you know, because in our medical system for it to be pain free in the end, which I think is not a bad thing. But for some people there, they just want their loved ones around them. And there's a piece that happens. And it's a scary piece, especially for those who aren't in the bed lying there dying. Because the truth is, we don't have the opportunity to write our exit script. We don't necessarily get to give a speech when we die. 
In fact, we never do because we never know exactly how we're going to die and what that's going to look like. Well, we, we do with long-term illnesses. People plan yeah. and they know that they've got a limited amount of time, but, in, but it can come as a surprise. Yeah. And I've been with a lot of families where somebody died of, tragically of a heart attack or a, a car accident. And here's, here's what I inevitably hear from some of the people. You know, there was so much I wanted to say, and I never had the chance to say it. There's so many words I wanted to pass on, and I never got to say them to my brother, my mom, or my dad, or my son, or my daughter, or my friend. I wish I had a little more time to say those things. When, when something is scarce, um, it becomes more precious to us. And we forget, we, we're, we're so entitled much of the time that we just assume it's owed to us and it's going to keep coming. Right. And until you hit that, that, that point, when I've been with people who die, um, because I've seen a lot of death um, and um, I've actually seen people as they were going or, you know, yeah, maybe hours before breath, holding um, their hand. Yeah. Just recently, my dad, you know, watched him waste away and, and die. Right. Some amazing things ha happen. And I studied it for my master's degree with parental bereavement. I found some things I didn't think I would, that I wasn't looking for. For instance, um, several of them had harbingers like in dreams or just awarenesses. So uh, harbingers where we know it's coming, mm -hmm. like somehow there, and there's plenty of, yeah, there's plenty of reports in the, in the literature where um, nurses will tell you this um, right down to the day. Okay. I'm going to be dead on Tuesday. My brother came, he went before me and he's, you know, whatever. Um, my sister, um, she's, she was only 13. So she's 12 or 13 when she got the, the, the disease. She anticipated it and she called it out, you know, when she would get a bruise and, and say, you know, mom, what if I have leukemia? Like why leukemia? There are a bunch of childhood diseases. We didn't know anybody with leukemia. Uh, she knew that. Um, my mom had a dream about it ahead of time. You know, that's, 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 if you look up Harbinger and Harbinger dreams, it's pretty amazing. And a lot of them are documented too, where you see the note or something, you know, with the date on it. And so they, you know, they really knew. There's so much more that we don't understand. Yeah, because the last guy that died, uh, his name is Bob, buddy of mine, um, and he was afraid at first, wanted to hold on to his life. and mm -hmm. But by the end, um, I saw him and he couldn't speak or anything like that, but he patted his bed for me to sit down and he was just smiling. And that was like maybe a day before he died. So something put him at peace. I, I couldn't know because he wasn't talking. Right. But something turned that fear into like a more of a like a wanted, like an anticipation, you know, and he was going to lose everything, his wife, his house, life on earth, but still smiling. And no, it wasn't the drugs. <laughs> they, they, they don't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. There is a real peace that is available to us. And one of the things that I've learned during those times of where people are walking right there with somebody I still have both my parents and my siblings. And so this is a little one step removed, but here's one of the things that I've learned from people. And it's this, don't leave anything unsaid that's important. Instead, say it today. When you go home, when you pick up the phone, when you call the person, there are things that we would have liked to have patched up before the end. And if so, don't wait. Don't assume the end is going to be 10 years or 20 years or a week. Say it today. That way, even if your loved ones don't have a chance to say goodbye to you, they already know all the things that you would have said because you said them over and over and over again. Does that make sense? It makes great sense. Yeah. They don't need one last time to say, I love you because they know that you love them because they saw it, they heard it, they felt it. They don't need to know the important things you would have wanted to say 
that there's to follow the Lord, their God, or for you to pass on your faith to them or for them to know how valuable they are, because you've already said it over and over for years and years, like a broken record. You've already left your lasting treasure. Yeah, they knew. They had the information. They knew. They were certain of it. Yeah. Yeah. So figure out what's important. That's, you know, you said, what's the treasure we're supposed to store up in heaven, not on earth? I would say one is to leave a lasting treasure. Say what's important today and say it regularly. Because words are important, even though words aren't everything. Yeah. Right on. So some people... um if you give the exercise some time that could be valuable is as they think about, you know, that legacy, like what, what will my life mean when I'm gone? And then they start thinking about, well, what do I want to leave there? And um, it's usually, and also there's some interesting research on um, regrets at the end of life. So, you know, researchers will interview people who know they're going to die and say, how would you live differently? Okay. Mm. What do you think's on that list? Laugh more. Okay. Not sweat the small stuff so much. I wish I had, not worked as much is on that, the yeah, top of that list often. I wish I had kept in touch with old friends. Mm-hmm. That's on the list. I wish I had lived the way I wanted to live. Yeah. And not the way that others thought, you know, that thing that calls society, which nobody can put their finger on, but they feel it. You know, these, these, these shared values and aspirations. I wish I worried less about things. I remember seeing that one. Yeah. So the question is, how do we live? Now, what I think about the scriptures, what I discovered was um, I had no idea how to live. I had no idea what to place uh, at the top of what's important in life. You know, that, that's when I say I didn't know right from wrong. People think they know right from wrong. Those are dangerous people, right, to themselves mostly. But um, it, it's dangerous to, to believe that. We don't know. It's complicated, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I'm a good Christian. I go to church. Maybe you are, maybe you're not, but I know it's really hard to be good. So uh, maybe you're overlooking something, you, you know, in there. Um, and start with this one, because this seems to be the hardest one in our culture. Start with this, and then you can gauge how, how good you are. Um, do you have any resentments? Um, do you love your enemy, or do you condemn your enemy? You know, mm-hmm. um, that's a good place to start. So if, if, if it's no there, then everything else that follows is kind of because God is love, and we're commanded to forgive. You know, how peaceful am I? Right. How much do I worry or trust? Because it's, you know, trusting God is uh, it frees you, but you got to feel safe enough to do it. Yeah. Say, no, I, I need to get out in front of this. You know, mm-hmm. doesn't mean take no action, but you can do that peacefully. And if you follow the commands, you'll you'll know most of what it takes. That's it. To make That's a decision. So yeah. Wow. You know, the words are important, but like you're saying, there's also actions and even even like Moses, like Joshua, David, when he left, his desire was to build the temple for God. And so he called the people together. And he's the one who provided all the funds to build the temple to God that ended up being a temple for all these future generations. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to build up the faith of future generations. And so it, it's more than just words. And what he did was he gave so generously and inspired generosity in others. And here's all these people who see this man who's so close to death at the point when you get to determine what's really important. And he has this passion for God and he's this leader. And if that's what's really important to this leader of mine, maybe it should be important to me too. And people came and they gave generously you know, they didn't hoard their stuff like we Americans are so apt to do. 
that's important. You just, I'm just thinking about the temple, as you mentioned. So in our town, if you're outside of town, like where I live and you're driving into town, um, you don't see the town first. You see something else first and it's up on a hill. What is it? Steeple. Yeah, it's a steeple of a church. That's yeah. the center of the church. That's making a statement that gets reinforced every time someone sees it and walks by it. That mm. this is what's valued. This is at the center of it. This is up high on the hill. That has psychological effects. So uh, as I see like art, for instance, like I studied abstract expressionist art, and I was like, I this is a ruse. There's nothing beautiful about this. It looks like you just, you know. Um, Why did you pick abstract expressionism to study? Uh, well, I didn't There's study so it. There's so much a, more good art. Well, because I had an I studied lots of it. Though you go want to know what's going on, you know. Plus, it seemed absurd to me. I was like, okay, what am I missing here? Like a Rothko painting where it's just basically a line on, uh, you know, yeah, you know, with paint on it. As, you know, I think that it has a lot to do with you know hiding money and banking and you know inflating these things and avoid taxes. That's probably one part of it. But it also has a philosophy. It has to do with drugs. It also has a philosophy that there's nothing good. It's what we bring to ourselves as humans, right? So there's nothing at face aesthetically pleasing to this. You know, you don't take um, a crucifix and put it in a jar of urine and take a picture of it and, and call that art. I don't care, you know, how, what, how good the lighting was. So avant-garde, um, right. Yeah, and, you know, and, you know, I think that there's, there, there seems to be a, a renaissance of Christian art coming back. There's more carvers and things like that that are coming out and stuff, but, but we lost that. Like a, when you walked into a temple in Judaism, it was supposed to invoke the, the, the divine, right? There's a reverence there that there's love. I'm, I'm surrounded by beauty. I can smell incense. I can do all that, you know, I'm not saying there aren't any other ways, but look, they, these, our ancestors were not stupid. Right. You know, they knew some things that maybe we've forgotten. That's but, so true. Just to wrap up on David's mm -hmm. end of his life in first Chronicles 29, he says this when he, He's pointing out that we just take care of this stuff that we have, the resources we have, or the lives that we have for a time. And David, at the end of his life, recognized he couldn't take it with him. And he says this to the people of Israel, 1 Chronicles 29, 14. Who am I and who are we that we should presume to be giving something to God? All we're doing is giving back what we've been given, he's talking to God, from your generous hand. So it's like he bequeathed something to the work of God that would touch generations to follow. And that lasting treasure comes from doing what's important today. There's one other group of people in Acts 13.22, Paul's describing it, David. And he says this, David fulfilled God's purposes for his generation. Isn't that interesting? What if we could fulfill God's purposes for our generation? Mm -hmm. Whatever generation you're from, what better could be said of us? Well, I mean, do you know what God's purpose is? I mean, there's a way to find out. You got to read scriptures. That'll tell you the, the whole story. But a lot of people, I don't know. I, I, look, our culture, our Christianity is going to be filtered through our culture where we all have to check those those biases and stuff. Um, but do you think it's typical for someone to say, okay, I'm going to be a servant to God and mainly focus on that? So that means if I need to make a sacrifice I'll do that because there's a higher good and, I, and I'll do that. Or do you think it's filtered through something else that our culture oftentimes I'm not. It's hard to be an either or it kind of blends together, but it does. We're called to yeah. serve. Yeah. But, but what I, what I've seen a lot and uh, you know, is um, what's in it for me. And that's not the story of Christianity that I saw. No, it wasn't like, um, you know, um, you just do this and there's an invocation where you just say these words 
and um, nothing gets changed at all except for you get to continue on piloting your own life in, in the way that you want and feel like a good person or maybe reduce some anxiety or something like that. You know, something that hit me hard a few years ago when I was preaching through the Ten Commandments, the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. And we always say, make God your top priority in your list. But I don't think that's what God meant. Like literally I have a list of things and God's at the top. Mm -hmm. So I check that box and then I move on to everything else. I think rather than God wanting to be the top of our priority list, he wants to be the center of our lives. Yeah, right. So it's not like I'm done. I never get done with them in the day. That's right. But if you, but if I'm picturing a list of all my favorite things and yeah, God's on top, you know, I check the box, I do my devotion or whatever, but then I move on to everything else on my list versus if I think of God more in the center of my life, I don't know how this resonates psychologically, but if I think of, of God as in the center of my life, his Holy spirit in me, and I radiate my life just radiates out from that, but that's my center. He is my center. God is Right. And you take it everywhere and in every decision. And yeah. So it's action. not like I ever, I, I don't ever move on because it's not a list. Right. It's a frame of reference. By what, yeah. what, what did you probably have the C.S. Lewis quote, you know, um, about the sunrise. It's by which I see everything. You know, that quote. Mm-hmm. I can't quote it. Exactly. You can't quote it. Come on. You're the C.S. No. Lewis guy. Part of the reason we know <laughs> the sun exists is because it's by the light of the sun that we see. Yes. That's that. That's it. You know, that's a really important thing to meditate on to see if, if we're do, how good we are doing it. Cause we all get lost, man. Yeah. It, and the way I get lost is this. It, he's at the forefront of my mind most of the time, but I'm not feeling it. Mm. You know, but I think that maybe that's just what faith is, is like it, when it's really dark and you think there's nothing else and then you got to grasp onto that because that's the only thing there and hold on till it passes, you know. Boy, that's a good word. What? And so, so this idea of contemplating our own death doesn't mean we become infatuated with it. No, it's I'd call it wisdom. Yeah. There, there, there's a wisdom in knowing how things work. And wisdom is um, the ability to make uh, important decisions when there isn't a clear rule. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there, there's no clear rule that you have to contemplate your death, but people who have come close to it or had major losses, when they get through the pain of it, on the other side of it, life can become more precious. Um, they will change careers and decide they want to live a different way because because there's a deep deep knowing not an intellectual understanding because that doesn't help like information you know come on there's too much of it out there probably you can get that anywhere right but that transformative wisdom that's a whole different bog it can come suddenly and it can come slowly usually it comes slowly with effort but yeah where you just look i had a a, i have a cousin um who got really sick uh, on covid this is a workaholic, you know, like I'm like 15 hour days and stuff and all that stuff. And after he, uh, he, he got pretty close to that serious event and he retired just like that. All it took was a, a, a deep knowledge, a certainty of how rare and scarce life is and mm-hmm. how it can go in a second. Cause you will die. Right. Right. You will. We've, We've got a certain amount of days. We've got a certain amount of energy. We've mm-hmm. got a certain amount of wisdom, certain amount of functionality. And the question is, how are we going to spend it? What are we spending it on? Yeah. You said the word a while back. 
in this podcast, you said values. Okay, what's value? Mm-hmm. So people don't often know their values because you'll ask. You, you, all you have to do is pay attention. Where am I putting my resources, my treasure, my time? Where am I putting? That'll tell you. my money on? Yeah, no, not what you say. Yeah, where do I spend my money? Who do I spend time with? What am I doing with that time? That will tell you what you need to know about what you value. Now, you can say you don't or you don't want to value that, but right now, that's what's moving you. Yeah, there's kind of three T's that preachers talk about. Your time, Mm -hmm. your talents, and your treasures. What am I spending my time on? If for a lot of us, our value, we must really value something on Facebook, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling or on the computer scrolling and scrolling and scrolling when it that's our time. Cause that's, we're putting in how many hours a day, then you get to talents. Am I developing my God given gifts? Am I, am I sharing them with anybody? And then the third one is your treasure. What do you spend money on? That says way louder than anything else we say with our words of what we value. Yeah. And, and it's not just doing it either. There's an attitude that we're supposed to take which is um, don't do it for your glory or you, or that's the only reward. Your glory is your only reward um, you do because Christians need to know that. And I'm, I'm not a preacher. So this is what I think could change. I could be wrong. Okay. But this is what I think we have to learn to put other people ahead of us. And this culture does not like that message. Right. If, if, if someone asks for something, like if I'm really tired and someone asks for something, um, my first response is I'm going to do it probably if at all possible, but I don't always feel joy initially. It makes me feel a little guilty about myself. Tells me how far I need to go. It's like, Oh man, I, you know, and then I was like, okay, get back on it. This is why I think that the faith is outside of us first. Mm-hmm. It's not our nature. It's not our way of doing it. Um, it you have to seek outside yourself. If you're going to find this. That's you said joy. I heard, I remember a preschool teacher, I was, must have been the parent in the class when she said, joy stands for Jesus, then others, then yourself. You heard so that in a public school? Uh, it was a church preschool. Okay. I, I wasn't, that I, can I, believe. I didn't go to preschool, but yeah. I don't hear adult, that in a public school. The, like my daughter took a religions class and so they're studying a lot of religions, which is good. Do that. But they won't study Christianity. I'm like, okay, what excuse did they give? And it was, um, well, there's too many domination. People get confused, whatever. Isn't that the reason to teach it? Like to move from confusion right. to some sort of And there's no denominations in any other religion. Yeah. Funny too. Yeah. Well, now for my final words. Okay. How do you leave treasure that will last? And I think it's this. Realize every moment you can build your treasure in heaven. The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Say what's important today. Say it regularly. Like literally after this podcast, call somebody, text them that message of encouragement or love or care. So say what you want to say that's important. Say it regularly. Then do what's important today. You still have time in this day, even if you're um, with us and it's nighttime. You have time to do something with the rest of the energy that you that God wants you to spend today. So do something important. And then number three, invest in the lives of people. People are what lasts eternally. God's eternal treasure of life with him is better than any treasure on earth, we would say from a Christ Christian worldview. So let us join in this adventure that God has given us to discover in life and death and life after death. Very, very good. Yeah. And, and, and as you pray 
for guidance, just remember your will, not mine, which means that it may not go the way you think it should be executed. doesn't mean it's not going to happen. just means that your way of getting there might be different. So we have to um, accept, you know, quickly when you don't get the things that you want. And we have plenty to do in the meantime when things don't go our way. God, yeah, thank yeah. you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, that we do not have to fear death. Lord, that that we just forget about it. We choose not to dwell on it. And yet, look at the amazing conversation, the amazing ideas that come when we name that we are finite, that we name that our life is but a moment in your sight. And yet, you value it. You value us infinitely. So I pray that you would help us to see the eternal view of life and death and life after death, that eternity begins now when we open ourselves to you spiritually, psychologically, and in every way. God, help us to do today what we need to do, that the people around us, since our death isn't our own, will know what we would have said, even if we lose our speech or when we lose our speech, that they would know they are loved infinitely by you and, and so much by us. And I thank you so much that we don't have to be afraid, but that we can just offer ourselves to you. So we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.